Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in. I am Anjali Sarana, the founder of Full Stop Organization, and this is the Full Start Podcast. We are a Gen Z-led organization that believes in the power of conversations to change the world. And today we're talking with Miss Sarah Moya, who is an immigrant rights activist, is undocumented, unapologetic, and most importantly, unafraid. Let's get right into it. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice to meet you and thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. I've seen a lot of your videos before and I I, I mean it. I'm not saying it for the sake of it. I'm just so inspired by you and I'm so glad we're thank getting you. here. Yeah. Thank you so much. That means so much and I'm excited to learn about you as well and to know how I could support you and to just talk in general. <laughs> Yeah, that means a lot. Thank you. What about you? Where in the U.S. are you currently? Yeah, so I'm in New Jersey, which is the neighbor state of New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And I graduated high school in 2014. And then Mm -hmm. I went straight to community college. And I graduated community college in 2017. So my goal after community college was to transfer to a diplomacy school Mm -hmm. and to study international relations and diplomacy but the school wasn't really friendly of legal statuses, even though it marketed itself to be. And Trump presented DACA exactly the year that I entered community college. So once that happened, I was like, well, I have DACA, right? And my parents are looking forward to me and my siblings being able to work in different spaces. But I felt like being an organizer was already rooted in the way I saw things growing up, right? Everyone was really resourceful. People knew about having to tell each other about resources. Otherwise, how would you find out about them? And when I became an organizer, I think my life, like full time, my life changed a lot because I realized I found my passion for storytelling and human rights. And I was, let me see, 2017, I'm 24 right now. I was probably 19. And when I started to speak out about being undocumented, it caught people who were saying, you're really poised. You speak so eloquently, right? And so as somebody who never had good grades, like I had horrible grades in high school. um, And then I had okay grades in community college, but I was so social and so like, you know what I mean? Like I was just a good multitasker. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt excited that people were telling me I was poised. But what happened when I started and continued to share my story is it went viral. And after it went viral, um, I began to notice something else on top of what was already happening with my story, which is that um, storytelling is really important in general, like storytelling and narrative controls the way people see other populations and history, which I'm really passionate about. Um, and storytelling is, is underrated in the human rights movement. People don't really understand the power of their understanding their story for the greater fight for human rights. And I say that loosely, but I do think I sit by what I say, where a lot of spaces talk for others, 
but what if we had the opportunity to give people the microphone to speak for themselves? And what if we gave people the tools necessary to disrupt mainstream media and to lead their personal narratives and to give their communities the tools to speak for themselves? And that's why I created Population Mike, which was born in 2014 as an idea, never came out until 2017. I started to host conversations. I started to interview people and the more I did it and the more I do work around storytelling really showed me that I was creating something new but it's been really really hard and I don't think it looks like it on Instagram mm -hmm. so I said this year I would start talking more about how hard it was mm -hmm. sometimes it just feels awkward to talk about how hard it is but how difficult it is to build your ideas from scratch when you come from working class parents right mm -hmm. um i don't have a backup plan i don't have like something to fall back on this yeah. is like this better work you know <laughs> for career wise um but that's that's me after high school um and then after high school i really realized in high school i was also a leader mm -hmm. i just didn't call myself a leader because i didn't have good grades and i thought that to be a leader, you have to be an A plus student, which I don't, it's amazing when people have A pluses all the time, right? Of course, some people you need to, right? But I think now I'm able to really talk out loud about how institutionalized approval mm -hmm. isn't what we should wait on to do things, right? Like a lot of people that I look up to, activists in history, didn't have their education. They were in a different time I'm not encouraging people to not get their education, but it was just for me as an undocumented student, watching others pursue their education made me feel senseless because I was like, yeah, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but Trump's rescinding DACA and I don't know how this is going to go down, right? Um, but I'm going to stop talking here so that I don't just take the conversation. <laughs> No, we'd, we'd, we want this conversation to be as much of you as possible because... Yeah. You have, you, even in this time, you've raised such valid points. And yeah, I think it's so true that, you know, stories are the one thing that binds us together. And I absolutely love that you always are one person, at least in my view of you, are somebody who always tries to own their narrative. And I think apart from that, I also really love that you, you're, you're trying to show more of the sides of doing your thing that's not entirely glamorous because that's what ends up going on Instagram and, you know, really messes with people's like self-esteem because you're always seeing the good side of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just on that note, I was wondering, you know, there are multiple aspects of your identities that's always at play, right? You're from a minority community. You're also a woman, right? So there are different levels of discrimination that you're always probably facing which is why I'd love to know what are the obstacles that you faced in your line of work because of your multiple identities yeah I mean I think just even in community college when I started when I was in a room full of people that grew up in in more wealthy communities or more wealthy families or that only grew up around white people and then I was sitting there talking my ass off about what I believe was the truth and about politics or even a freaking class of geography. I remember having students say, well, go back to like, you're in America. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like remembering that I, I had never, I grew up in a predominantly uh, like a, like a 
people of color school. Like it was like the black community, it was people from various different communities. And it wasn't just white people. White people were actually the minority in my high school growing up. So I'm not used to that in my high school, right? If anything, if you were, the lighter you were, the more you got joked on in my high school versus other schools where it's like, if you're not white, you're like cringing, right? But just in community college, I think it was so cringy because I was like, wow, to think about my friends that I grew up with that were girls, they wouldn't even have raised their hand once in high school. And then we were in a, we were in high school, an environment where people were more like us to think of college and just how like every time that I raised my hand, I didn't care at some point. It came to a point where I was just like, I don't care. Boom, boom, boom. Right. Yeah. But it was racist. It was racism. There were, there were, I remember I worked for these people and the kids I worked with, like, I remember being in the car and they were like, so do you speak English? And like just these little, I don't even feel like repeating it. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I feel like for me, I've had a hard time talking about discrimination or things I've gone through like that because I think I've pushed it to the side and try to ignore it because I think in the moment you're just like, what is wrong with people, right? Like really seriously, what is wrong with people? Yeah. And in my mind, because of the way my parents are, I've always been of the mindset, which I don't think anybody should have to feel like I'm going to be better. I'm going to show them or I'm going to not even I'm going to show them because I've never said that, but more like this mindset, you shouldn't have to put on this mindset of like, all right, leave me alone. Like whatever you should be able to be like, yo, you're ignorant. Right. But I do think that sometimes I have selective memory where I won't remember when that's happened, but it has, it really has. And in the moment, I'm just a very like smiley, like, okay, like whatever, like, kind of person and I get that from my mom where and my dad too who's a like such a friend maker right mm-hmm. where I'm like and Costa Ricans in general are like that but I saw something on Instagram about the when we when they go low we go high thing mm-hmm. and I think I'm I really can relate to that because when I've gone through that I'm just like I have responded right there will be times where I'm like you're ignorant I think that there's times where I think about not not there's times there's many times where I think about the ways that all of my friends and me went into the workforce and the different levels of discrimination. And I think already internalizes being in a room where there's only white people has been probably one of the weirdest experiences for me after high school, where like I was used to a high school where everybody was a person of color. Then I'm like going in and the white people that were there just weren't really like, they were just, you know what I mean? Different. Or maybe they were low key racist, who knows? But um i think when i go into these rooms i remind myself that like clearly i need to be in that room and then like i don't need these people's approval to like do what i came in to do i just have stuff to do right whenever i'm doing any type of work Mm -hmm. and yeah i don't know i don't know maybe i didn't answer that question that well no i think you did i think you entirely did i love the you know when they go low we go high thing although i feel sometimes it's extremely hard to do that when you're facing discrimination or you're the uh, on the oppressed end, you know, on a daily basis. That said, I really like that, you know, you're allowing people the room to grow and not like, unless they've performed irrevocable harm to you, you're not canceling them. Cause I feel like that often prevents people from learning, unlearning and relearning. That said, I, I think one question I really want to pose to you is how are a few ways that people, I mean, what are a few things that people should or should not do to make 
sure that minority voices are not put at more disadvantage than they already are. Because, I mean, you know, you see brands sometimes put people of color on their, when they're doing photo shoots and on their covers, whereas people of color will not be present anywhere in their leadership, right? You see people without the lived experiences of minority communities, I think take this sometimes knowingly or unknowingly, take the stage away from people who actually possess those lived experiences and come from a lifetime of discrimination and oppression. So what are a few things that people you believe should do or should not do to ensure that minority voices are not hushed or overlooked? Changing leadership in in organizations. I think for sure changing leadership. I think also understanding that representation is not the only thing we need, right? We don't need people in office that look like us only. Because you people that that look like us could still be corrupt, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's really making sure that for sure that there's people that are from our communities in in places of leadership. Like we need organizations and spaces to have leadership that represent communities. Mm -hmm. I think we also just need to make sure the entire infrastructure. If we're being honest, we just need to overthrow the entire system. But we're going to talk more like literally not literally, but talk like, okay, if we don't overthrow the system, what do we do? Mm-hmm. I think for sure, making sure that policy and laws are something that the community that's most impacted by has access to voting on, right? I think so much about how like the working class sometimes is the least involved in politics at times. That's right. changed a lot. And in a lot of states, it's not the same, nor a lot of countries. But I do think for the most part, those with less money, with less t- access to free time, mm-hmm. at times end up be having less access to understanding bills and what policies being pushed and what elected officials locally impact their laws. So I do think we need a shift in information access, a shift in language accessibility, at least in America, United States, because people who do not speak English are at advantage at understanding what is taking place politically. Um, and I think about that a lot because of my parents who's, uh, you know, don't entertain English as fluently as me. And I'm like, that's some bullshit, right? Like we shouldn't have foreign essential workers understanding and, and getting access out of shift laws secondarily. They should be on the first line of people interrupting that. So language accessibility, um, you know, making politics accessible to people in that journey, um, making sure that policies and laws are tied to the communities they're supposed to represent and actually giving community members a stake in these in these shift in law, um, for sure leadership that represents community. But yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I think that's so true, especially when it comes to decisions and policies that directly affect a certain community. I feel like people from that community should always be the majority at the seat, at the decision-making like table and not sitting on a foldable chair that's five feet away from the table. Um, and I think that's so important. Yeah. I remember in, in one of your previous interviews, you also mentioned that someday you want to run for Congress. So what I wanted to ask was, do you feel 
given the current administration shift, um, Trump going out of office, do you feel a lot more optimistic? Also, given that the United States had its first ever uh, woman of color vice president, does that make you feel a lot more optimistic or hopeful? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, my hope doesn't stem from who's in office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's disheartening, but I cannot say that Biden being in office and Kamala being in office really changed my perspective. Like, of course, it changed my literal in like energy because I think there's such a heavy energy of knowing that somebody as like the way he presents himself is trash, right? Um, in office. But I do think, I think the same about all politicians. I think they are not like what we think they are. And I think we cannot rely on them. Yeah. So I do need to say that because I think sometimes when people see people with a platform or when they see people with this and that, you hear the same message over and over. And I'm like, we need to individualize what we think. I don't think that. I don't think Biden is my anything. I don't think anything of Kamala. I don't hate them but i am very angry because just because they are people from spaces we enjoy watching doesn't mean they're not part of the corruption right like over 20,000 immigrants have already been deported in the biden administration office right and both party i mean both people have a really big history so i think my enthusiasm and my hope to move forward as a human rights activist will never and has never stemmed from who's in office. Um, it just doesn't. I can tell you because of their office, now I'm excited. Nope. I've been excited because I believe in God and I believe that we are here for a purpose. And I believe that if we are inclined to human rights, it's because we're called to it. And I believe as humans, it's our duty to serve others. So I've always been excited. Lately, I've been tired, but that's only because I've been going at it for years now, right? I don't know that I would run for office anymore. Um, So I haven't talked about it much anymore. Um, I think I'm really, I know I'm really passionate and in love with the power of activism at a local level, right? Coming from a local community that didn't have a lot of resources or didn't distribute resources appropriately in my town. I feel excited that I'm an activist because I know what it's like for my mom to have to scramble to find resources to as a documented person for healthcare. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in general, I, I really try my best to be open to learning and unlearning because I know I'm not in this for the short term. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that the way I do work excites others for human rights like i hope the way that i serve others makes others be like oh my god i want to do what she does right and not because i make it look easy but because they're like that's a cool way to do it right like maybe i can do that too because we can human rights doesn't have to be all of us in a blazer speaking english and being a white person yeah (laughs) that's not activism activism is multicultural and you wear a freaking whatever you want because activism is not of the white man and, and powers is, is clearly of the white man in this moment, but it wasn't, things don't have to be this way and we can change the world, you know? So I do want to say like that because I could have just said, yes, I'm excited, but I, it's not that simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And I feel like activism shouldn't actively change you who you are, but rather come from who you are. And 
I absolutely love that. Um, I think just building on to what you mentioned, I know you're doing a lot. You're doing a lot. I know a few years back, you were also on ground at the borders, if I'm not wrong, at San Diego and working with communities. Things I admire most about you is that you're really emphasizing building communities and collectives. And of course, it's clear that you're doing a lot, a lot in a very full manner, might I add. Um, So how do you prevent And I feel this is one of the issues a lot of the youth and Gen Z members are facing. How do you sort of like make sure it's not getting too much or you're not getting burnt out and you're also making sure that your mental health is intact as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the truth is when I started, like, everything, even shit out of high school, I was 17. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited, girl. But I didn't have a self-care plan, right? Like my self-care was going to these events and meeting these people that had power or literally not this, they had power. Like these older people that I would look at and be like, hi, like, oh my God, you're an ambassador to a country. Like you must be able to like flip the country. And they were looking at me like, girl, you are, oh God. And I didn't care, but like, I talk about this because when I started like, I came from a community that was small, like my high school's big, but small. And like a lot of the dreams I had when I thought about human rights were really like this huge hope, this huge imagination, this huge faith in the possibility of disrupting what we see. Mm -hmm. And I went straight forward. Like I ran and I ran and I ran. And I think it wasn't until yeah it wasn't until 2018 four years after high school that I was done like I was like oh my god why did I do this I should just got out of high school been a psychologist I was going to be a psychologist I was like why did I go into this but I think even 2018 when I hit my burnout and girl I'm still recovering by the way I'm not like fully recovered yet um I think 2018 when that happened I was sad but I knew that I had burnt out not because the movement Not because anyone made me, but at the same time, yes. I learned a lot about how in institutions, as kids, as youth, we are, we are, yes. okay? I didn't even have to say anything, okay? That's what happens to us when we go into these spaces where adults see our hope. And instead of nourishing our hope and guiding us, right? I don't don't know if you can relate, but that's my story. And I've had so many friends relate to that, especially undocumented activists, where you go into a place with your hope and you're a young person and adults just until you're left almost exhausted. And that's what happened to me. And I was already a high energy person. So it's like high energy, young, excited, positive, right? And when I ran for president of Women's March Youth, it was like, so intense but so amazing that I I think it really gave me the chance and then right during halfway through my presidency I went to the border as a digital strategist for a small organization in New York so my my schedule if it wasn't crazy before it was crazy then I was president of a national youth seat I was digital strategist for the border first time the border was covered by a person my age that had my platform And I didn't think I was like the great strategist. I'm just the strategist. I wasn't like the strategist, right? I was just one of many. But I'm saying that to say, 
after that, okay, boom, literally before COVID struck was when I realized, holy crap, I need to find the way to balance my personal life with this work. And then I, this year being home, I work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and turning 24, like, I was like, oh my God, like, mm-hmm. it went by so fast. And I'm grateful, like, I'm, I'm really grateful because my passion is serving people and youth and like change makers and human rights. But I think right now where I'm really at is that we really, 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 as leaders, as people who want to change the world, have to stress ourselves trying to be healthy. We have to because health is a privilege, but it takes making little changes. Like I said, I wouldn't work Saturdays and Sundays when I don't have to. Or I said, um, I'm going to try to not, yeah, I don't take work, work calls past 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Or like little changes that I know younger Sarah would have never done, I now do. And here and there, like today, I was like, no, I, a podcast today is good. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. But I try my best to leave room to exist, to be like, okay, I'm 24. I'm not like the president of a country. You know what I mean? Because I think our excitement is good. Our excitement is purpose, right? And it's it's what keeps us going. But I think we are also our purpose. Like ourselves is our purpose. And I think even just being a young woman, like I was writing a poem yesterday Mm -hmm. because about body shape and and body image and about like the world's loud message to girls the moment they're born, right? The world's loud message to us from when we're little girls to when we're older. And the poem I wrote last night made me cry because I was just like, I I wish I had right now. It was just like saying like, I'm a size 14 right now, 14 slash 16. And I size in my life. My My weight has fluctuated a lot. And I just started thinking about what it means to be a woman and the body shape you're expected to have, the way you're expected to look, um, and how much that affects your ability to do certain things because of how worthy you think you are. Um, And so I want to go more into like body image and like celebration of who you are this year because... Yes, I might be launching a national program this year. And yes, I'm on the board of Reebok for a huge human rights award. And I'm grateful. Like, grateful is not the word, right? But I am not my work. And I am not just worthy of talking when I have something powerful to say. I'm worthy of talking when I just have to say to all the women, I love you. Like, love your, like, you know what I mean? So I think, I don't know if that answers the question, but I do think, I wish I would go back and tell myself, like, you are it. You have everything you need inside of you to move forward. And no amount of rooms you walk into can change that. No amount of people that are powerful you go and meet will disrupt that. Regardless of who I would meet, I would still be Miss Aramora, right? Uh And I think that's something that I'll tell you and anybody else that needs it as like a sister, right? Because I'm really big on sisterhood and like friendship. Like you have everything you need inside you to be the leader that you're expecting yourself to be. Like you think I have something for you and then you'd be surprised how much you already have it inside of you. Like no one has what you have inside of you. And it's important to like, I don't know, like take some time to 
think about that and think about how much you already have, which is hard given our environments, right? We all grew up in different environments. Lord knows I did. I'll eventually talk about it, but finding that light within you and your, your self-care moments, past face masks, um, is so important to me this year. And I really hope that this year will be the year where I get to share more of those healing moments. I'm trying to not stress about it too much and just do it in my personal time so that it shows on my, in my work. But yeah, I don't know. I literally have like goosebumps on my body because whatever you said, I just feel like I really needed to hear that today. And mm. I think whoever's gonna listen to this eventually will really feel like you've made that day. So thank you on behalf of all of us. Um, but you- and I wanna say one more thing. Go oh my God, one more thing. Yes. Because I keep doubting myself when I go on these little rants, but I know they're going to be helpful. Like, I'm so sorry to anyone that has ever felt by any adult that they weren't worthy of stepping into their light. I'm sorry on behalf of others for the times that any young girl or young person listening to this felt like they had to prove they, their worth by exhausting themselves. That's capitalism, okay? And that's a bunch of isms that have taught us that we have to prove ourselves worthy of existing by working ridiculous hours and doing ridiculous things. And it's just not true. Like you would not have to prove yourself to any nonprofit or any space or any spaces are important we need spaces or whatever but like you should never feel like you need somebody's approval for the stuff you do and so to anybody listening to this and to you too and to myself we do not need the approval of institutional and capitalism driven spaces to move forward in in our in our fight for human rights human rights is not owned by anyone though it seems like it and has been monopolized right um, we are this fight and we are our own stories and we don't have to wait for somebody to come in like a fairy godmother, like let us into this movement. We are the movement and we exist in these rooms and these spaces all over the world. We exist in our families, which can sometimes be so difficult within itself. Um, and that is enough we are enough we do not have to wait for somebody to come and tell us that it's good no country and no person knows better than ourselves like we are all individually existing in our own realities and while we need to learn and unlearn for the sake of cultural reasons and like really understanding racism and right understanding and and breaking down systemic uh lack of information and, and knowledge and awareness of other people's backgrounds, we are, are very much worthy of stepping into rooms and, and recognizing our stories and, and where, you know what I mean, we fit in, in the fight for human rights. But yeah, that's my last two cents about that. Wow, I'm just listening to you and I'm totally blown away. And then you stop speaking and I'm like, oh no, I have to speak. Why do I have to speak? <laughs> listening to you. <laughs> No, that's wonderful. And it's so moving and so powerful. Your your words are like magical and I'm not even like exaggerating the least bit. Uh, but you know, so you mentioned how we're the movement. And I know that you're one person who's also 
very often spoken about the importance of having decentralized movements and not have social justice issues monopolized. So do you want to elaborate on this a little more and also talk about how as social justice activists, how we can avoid knowingly or unknowingly monopolizing issues around us? Yeah. Well, I think for one, my, my, I have a really big passion for decentralizing media. I think I started with my story, like with Miss Aramora, which is like my online platform, because I think for so long in spaces that I would walk into, I would feel like my story was being used for something. Or I feel like even when you apply for a scholarship, right? to get money you need to break down the reason you need the money and power and money and narrative and all these really critical things are determined by our ability to give away our story Mm -hmm. um so i think for me i'm really passionate about decentralizing mainstream media and narrative because we're now in a time where a lot of people are speaking about a lot of things. Yeah. But for me, it was, I'm going to speak about Miss Sarah Moore. I'm going to be speak about Sarah. Let me stop calling myself Miss Sarah Moore. I'm going to speak about Sarah and I'm going to speak about what I went through. And nobody owns that. Only I own that. Yeah. The amount of times I talk about it, if somebody gets mad, that's their business, right? That's my story. And the reason I'm going to talk about it is because I'm also passionate about migrant rights but because I think a lot of times we feel like as a community, I've seen it happen. People talk about migrant rights, but they don't talk about their migration story or they don't talk about their, because people are exhausted. But for me, it was, what if I, what if I shifted that? And what if I talked about the power of owning my story Mm -hmm. while also shifting that attention to people, to the movement at large, right? And the more I did that, the more I noticed it worked. When people run into my profile, they're like, Who? oh, I see you're a migrant rights activist. Wow, your story. And I'm like, and you're shocked by my story? There's a million stories like mine. Do you want to help? Oh, good. That's what I'm here for, right? Like, here's a hundred ways that you can help in this movement. And again, I'm explaining it like that to say, I believe that we cannot function unless we are decentralized in all aspects. When you are centralized, you're a dictatorship, right? If only one organization leads climate change, yeah. that's no. Unless it's shifting in some sort, it doesn't work like that. One place cannot rep everything. You can have resources, a lot of them in one place. You still need to decentralize them, right? You still need to distribute them. So to me, it's, it's important to understand that decentralizing work is not a radical statement. It's a, it's a must. You have to decentralize, right? Yeah. And I think the way that others can help to not monopolize ideas is by, what is your story, right? Like, did you grow up poor? Did you grow up with money? Are you affected by the way you look? Do people discriminate you according to what you look like? uh a bunch a series of questions um socioeconomic level definitely is a big one right like once you grew up with money the level of access you have is totally different i always say that i'm like yo were were you born rich back (laughs) off we're not on the same like i wasn't born rich i grew i come from working class parents my mom cleans houses my dad's a mechanic still to this day I have 136,000 followers. I still live in my mother's house and my dad's house. 
clean house, she cleans up, you know what I mean? And so how people can avoid that is by staying true, understand who you are, find out who am I and not in some intricate, intense way as I'm coming off. It's just the way I talk. Um, but really just ask yourself, like, did I grow up with money privilege? Like, did I have class privilege? Did I have white privilege? Did I like emphasis on the class privilege? Because I think when, when we talk about race right now, a lot of people have a lot of questions because we're, unless you were already in the work, it's hard to know the answers to everything. But one thing I was overhearing in a podcast is like, yo, if you grew up with money seriously, regardless of the, the, the race you come from, it changes it, right? Like it changes it. Like your, your style, your, I'm sorry, not your style. I'm getting my words jumbled. <laughs> your lifestyle, like your environment completely is a, a totally different story. And absolutely. When you look like a person um that is in power right if you look like you're a white person if you look like you're that affects too so i think in general knowing your story identifying like who you are which is hard but relatively easy if you really think about again if you think about money um like your ability to get discriminated in places knowing your story will help you know your role in the movement because I think you can always be a rich person that leads a huge initiative. Yeah. It's just going to be different. Right. And it's going to be, it's not, it's, it's, I think knowing these things will then help you understand like, where is there a need, right? You're creating a space. Okay. Is there a need? There is. Okay. So boom, right. Like knowing you don't need to do what a hundred other people are doing. Social media is really powerful. So marketing helps, uh, knowing people helps but everything is so shifting uh that i think it's hard to answer that question but i would definitely say for me one thing i've observed is like again people trying to just do what every everybody's doing and i'm like what are you guys doing at the end of the day you're doing so much but what are you doing you're putting countless hours in work but you come from money and you're trying to like take up space in a place where you shouldn't be even having an organization like that so to me, it's like simple, maybe because that's how I felt. Like the thing I created hasn't been created before. Like there's spaces that offer fellowships for people, for journalists, but I'm, my work has never been created before. And not to sound like conceited, but like, I think I pride myself on it because I'm like, I'm very slow to go. And I haven't made a nonprofit organization yet fully because I'm like, how do I create something that hasn't been created? How do I not add my list of projects to a hundred people lists of projects, right? Like how do I create something? Um, and, and should I create something? But I don't think people should get discouraged from creating. I just think it's important to know like, there's a hundred ways to change the world. And even though it looks like everyone is doing it one way, there's so many ways. And for me, it's decentralizing mainstream media. It's for me, it's people understanding the power of their story in all rooms. And yeah. No, preach. I love that. I love that so much. Especially like knowing what your role in a movement is. Because I think it's really important to also un like understand when you're adding to the conversation in a meaningful way and when you're just adding to the noise. I absolutely love that you mentioned knowing your role um, in a movement, considering all the different kinds of privileges that you're born into.
I think on that note, I have a last question for you, which is, you know, we've spoken so much about youth and we've spoken about movements and, you know, actively fighting for human rights. What's one advice you have for the youth to really get into it? Yeah, I think it's that there's a hundred things going on already. So if your doubt is, oh my God, I know I just said, think about what you're going to do, which is important, but I think sometimes you just have to do it and see if it works and if it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> the worst thing that could happen is you just go back to square one um but i think for me too like if i could go back and tell myself something that i think everyone needs to hear is like again like if you have an idea that's fresh off your head like look at what has existed before you like if you're like let me start a nonprofit for this look into orgs that do that already and kind of look at what they're doing wrong and kind of see like where could i go better like you know what I mean? Not nothing shady, but I think it's just logical. If something exists already, just look at what they're doing and not not in a in a careless manner. I would hope there's like more thought into it so that it doesn't stress you out later to start something and then look back at it. But yeah, um, what is another thing? Let me think. Hmm. Well, for one, the human rights fight has existed for a long time and yeah. it's going to exist for a while, right? Hopefully. We change the world in the next year but in case we don't it will exist <laughs> and that means that you should be more kind to yourself it doesn't mean don't put out your ideas your ideas can exist powerfully but you should be more kind to yourself that means acknowledge your passion acknowledge that you're being light in the earth by wanting to change it because there's a lot of people who don't give a fuck right now yeah. sorry for my curse word <laughs> so because they don't care we can already see there's a set of humans that on this earth don't give a scratch about changing it and really are just here to use it up um so i think understanding how powerful and how communal the fight for human rights is is important because then it takes the pressure off one person you shouldn't feel you shouldn't but at but many do right you shouldn't feel like you're the only one changing the world. You shouldn't feel like, oh my God, if I don't start right now, um, it's never going to happen. It could happen forever. So it's be, be more patient with yourself. Do it. If that's what you feel like you should do it. The only reason I'm saying sit down and think about it is because again, it's about believing in your ideas, but also knowing like, just because you don't start and end tomorrow doesn't mean you didn't do a great job. A lot of people started five years ago and somebody started yesterday and they're doing better, right? So, but definitely people that have grown up experiencing a certain hardship. One, one pattern I've noticed is whoever grew up with a certain struggle goes at it the hardest because you know what it's like. I know that feeling, for, especially for the media stuff. I'm like, yeah, but how many undocumented kids are out there sharing their story? They don't know. Like their story is getting such funding for spaces that have used that funding. So trust your gut, man. Also, I want to say that because I don't have the answers for everyone. I'm just one person. But that's a little bit of what I would say. Also, don't let everyone be your advisor so hard. Sometimes we're looking so much for advice that I'm like, what we really should do is sit down in our room, journal, and think about what are, what what we are telling ourselves already, because a lot of times we are already speaking. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I could honestly, I want to talk to you forever, but just to be mindful of your time as well. Um, 
just to end with, do you want to share a few ways that whoever's hearing this or possibly will hear this um, can support you in your work? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I am on Patreon. I'm going to name that one first. And I have like three to four tiers for people who are looking to donate, who come from more beneficial uh, economic backgrounds. That's definitely going to be something I want to push out more this year um, and keep really active on it. That's a way you could donate to my work. The work I do is, um, is for free. So the work I did at the border was free. The work at Women's March Youth was free. So a lot of this work that as pompous as it sounds, as big as it might look, a lot of it is free. And so Patreon and uh, I have my website up. I have a speakers agency. So if you want to book me for a college, if you want to book me for an organization, whatever you want to book me for, I'm almost sure I can do it. Um, but yeah, support me through my website, www.missaramora.com. I'm on Instagram, on TikTok, on Snapchat, and on Twitter, um, at Miss Saramora. And there was one more um, thing. Wow, I just lost sight of it. <laughs> Literally, I blank. Oh my gosh. Well, those are the ways, guys. I don't know. My brain's just cutting me short. You can let me know um, and make sure I add it to the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those are the ways now, and I'm really responsive. So if you send me a DM, I try my best to get to all of them after a couple of weeks. So hit me up, y'all. Let's talk. Let's change the world. <laughs> Let's use storytelling to shift narratives. Yes. Let's believe in the power to change the world because it is possible. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> Even when your brain feels like no, it's not. Everybody's evil. That's not true. It's possible. There are good people out there doing good things. And together, we can shake it up. I love it. Good people like you. And I think as long as I'm connected, I'm, I'm so privileged enough to be connected to people like you. I know I will be contributing to changing the world a little at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm privileged to be talking to you. You're going to change the world too. So it's my honor as well because we're all doing it in our own world, you know? Yeah, I, for one, will definitely donate after this call. And I really encourage everybody hearing to do it too. But Also, you guys can go straight to my Cash App too. I have Cash App. I don't do this, but my friend was like, you better start. So I am. Cash app at, I mean, the dollar sign, Miss Saramora, same thing. And then Venmo, it's at Saramora. So if you don't want to donate, if you don't want to subscribe to Patreon and you can't hire me to speak somewhere and you don't have the money to hire me for a partnership online, donate directly. I have like three different uh, online platforms to donate. Like if you have like, obviously if you have it, please do not donate if you don't have money. Please don't do that to me. That's going to break my heart. Don't do that um this is for people who literally just have money and are like yo i want to help somebody who's actually doing stuff i'm doing stuff and i'm trying my best also to advocate for myself while advocating for others because if not that's why burnout happens because i'm like yeah. you should donate here you should donate there and i'm like okay i also need to tell people guys i'm doing this for free i'm not sitting here on some trust fund or some investor's money no this is from blank out of pocket yeah um so the same money I earned doing little gigs, I then put back into the work. But my cash apps, Miss Saramora, my Venmo, Saramora, and I'll add more details for you to share. That is wonderful. Guys, please take note. And 
oh my god you don't have to apologize for this at all it's so important <laughs> to advocate for yourself while advocating for others oh but oh my god this was such an amazing conversation i've learned so much i'm gonna take so much back and i feel like i'm gonna have the best night's sleep in a long time <laughs> so thank you thank you so much for joining me for, you. for your time